Welcome to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Tyler Piron, and thank you so much for joining us. Coming Home Well is a nonprofit. This is something we do to try to help veterans come home well. With the scourge of suicide, 23 to 24 veterans committing suicide each and every day, there's so many veterans that, well, quite honestly, just are not coming home well. Whether it's not having the right purpose in life, whether it's challenges with drugs and alcohol, post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injuries, all sorts of things that impact the ability of veterans to come home well. Now, today we have a wonderful guest, uh, actually two guests, and they're going to talk about wolves and warriors. Now, I don't want to steal their thunder, and we have a wonderful interview, but I want to remind you that we do have a podcast. So if you're listening in the car and you have to get out, you have to go do something, just go search for Coming Home Well and you'll be able to find the podcast version of the interview and the show, and you'll be able to get all the information. So with that, I'm going to hand it off, and I'm going to introduce Wolves and Warriors. Welcome back to Coming Home Well. We have a repeat guest. It is Wolves and Warriors. They've been on the program before, but things have changed, and we wanted to have them back on because they have such a fantastic program. Uh, It's Dr. Lauren Linder and Matt Simmons, and they are joining us from Wolves and Warriors. Welcome. Thank Thank you you very much. So what exactly is Wolves and Warriors for people that don't know? You take it away, Uh, Matt. Wolves and Warriors is a program, an ecotherapy program. In other words, outside, in nature, enjoying the sun, the rain, whatever might might be outside. And it's a big brother, little brother program. We're a veteran further along in the program, kind of sponsors a veteran new to the program. And the veterans are tasked with taking care of coursing predators. So it's an animal therapy program where the animal dictates the relationship. Most of our enclosures are about an acre to three acres. So it's a big, giant open space to work with a rescued coursing predator in the form of a wolf. So I'm, I'm not the smartest guy. What is a coursing predator? Well, a lot of people like to call wolves apex predators, which they are as well. But the most important thing is that they're a coursing predator. A coursing predator protects the earth or protects the ecosystem by moving animals from one place to another. Uh, Much like a combat veteran in Afghanistan, a combat veteran in Kuwait, a combat veteran serving overseas, the main job of our military, although sometimes we get a bad rap, is not necessarily to kill anything. It's to move certain people to safety and move the bad people in another way and draw a line down the middle, separating the good from the bad or the wheat from the chaff. And and that's actually what a wolf does so well. And that's why we find so many similarities in behavior and trauma between the wolf and the veteran. Um, It's very easy to understand from a scientific standpoint that all vertebrates, meaning if you have a vertebrae, uh, you experience trauma the same. 
And when your job is the same, when a wolf's job is a coursing predator and a veteran's job is to protect our liberties and to separate and to do these things overseas, we can see a really quick mirroring or comparison uh, between the wolf and the veteran. Well, that sounds really interesting. How did this come about? Because I, I get the analogy. I, I see it. I understand it. But it's certainly the first time I've heard about putting you know, warriors with wolves and, and putting them together, especially in a big enclosure. So this isn't like a zoo. This is like, you know, three acres of fenced area is a big area, especially if you've ever had to mow it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you say mow. We just started incorporating, you know, grass and, and ponds and streams and stuff in some of these big enclosures up in the mountains. But so like everything good in my life, um, from the time I was young and started my business and joined the military, all of the really great leaps and bounds in my life has, have kind of come to me more than, than me going to them. So um, I went to the West Los Angeles VA for treatment with uh, PTSD. They had a program there called Birds of a Feather or Serenity Park. Uh, that program was founded by Dr. Lauren Linder. Uh, it was an amazing program with animal therapists that could talk. Parrots could say things like, I love you, hold me. I was one of those veterans. Wasn't too sure about emotional connections and making them again. I wasn't sure if I was going to get back in society or just kind of, you know, drift around the edges, much like a lone wolf. Um, and Serenity Park was able to help heal my heart. And in healing my heart and watching behavior and watching forgiveness and watching acceptance, I was able to kind of incorporate that in my life. First learned it with the animals and then learned it with the guys I was working with and then eventually spread on to further parts of my life, including uh, convincing Dr. Lauren Leonard to get coffee with me. And uh, we've been off and running ever since. Um, Dr. Linder, <laughs> Dr. Linder wanted to uh, rescue horses. She had talked to me about doing some animal rescue. I was very much interested in working with horses. Uh, she and I bought a place about 60 miles outside of LA. Um, and we went to a horse rescue. You know, it's only normal. We want to rescue horses. We got all this land. We work with veterans all the time. Plus, I was traveling back and forth to L.A., and I thought, oh, horses would be great. And I put some hay out in the morning. I go to my job. I come back. So, like life would have it, you know, we're at a horse rescue. There's 400 or 600 horses. and Oh, he had a lot of horses. A lot of horses. And we go, well, we'll take that horse, and we'll take that horse, and we'll help you with that horse. And all of a sudden, we're noticing that this woman who runs this rescue, I'm not really sure she's going to give us a horse. It was like this weird, I rescued it, but I don't know if I'm going to let you rescue it. This whole weird thing. So I get a little frustrated, and I walk around to the back of the barn, and I turn the corner. And in a steel cage with a roof on top is this very odd-looking dog. This dog has an elongated neck. Its teeth look a little bigger than it should. Kind of carries its head down a little bit. It's walking and tiptoeing on its toes. I've never seen a dog do that. And I say to Lauren, I say, what kind of dog is this? So the woman comes around the corner. Lauren and I are trying to figure out what kind of dog this is. And the woman says, that's a wolf dog, meaning part wolf and part dog. And at that moment, I was very much drawn uh, to that animal. I don't really, to this day, can't tell you why or how. 
But an inner part of me was very much drawn to that animal. And I think within a month, uh, we get a phone call about a wolf dog at a shelter in uh, Bakersfield, California. And that wolf dog's name was Wiley. Uh, Wiley and I trudged the road of happy destiny together for 14 years, Laura, is that right? Anyway, 14 years. And, and Wiley and I... Hey, Laura, it's okay, I got it. Um, so Wiley and I, you know, start this relationship, start being together. I start seeing in Wiley a lot of myself. And what I mean by that for your listeners is that a, there are five rules to being a domestic dog, okay? Five levels of servitude, you know? Am I part of the pack? Is my job hurting? You know, all these different dog jobs, and each breed is a little better. So, you know, Catahoulas are really good at breeding, and uh, Pyrenees are really good at guarding. So there's all these, you know, these five rules, and they're hard and fast rules. But the first rule of being a dog is that I turn to a human for food, that I turn to a human for sustenance. Now, wolves have the exact same five rules, and those rules dictate who does what inside a pack and who does the hunting and who does the protecting and who does the parenting has the exact same rules, except there's one major different rule. And that rule is stay alive no matter what exist. And that's where the veterans. And also those rules pertain to their pack, not to humans, right? Well, yeah, we were going to get to that. So that you're right. And that's why veterans, that's why we see such a good parallel between veterans and wolves. So when you're out there, you're part of a team, you're part of a crew, you've got a job, whether it's guarding, whether it's, I'd say it, hunting, whether it's protecting. But there's also a very important rule, and that rule is stay alive, stay alive, stay alive. So when you take a wolf and a dog and you cross them together, in that wolf dog, there's two sides of his brain. One side of his brain says, I want to be a wolf. I want to run free. I want to guard and hunt and do all this stuff. And the other side of his brain is like, Eh, I think I kind of like people. Eh, I think they're good to me. Um, I think I want to be on the couch. I think I want to be in the house. So this, we've created this animal with this inner struggle, one very, I'd say, ancient and one very modern. And with many returning combat veterans, we create that struggle. So there's this great guy. He's a husband and a father and an uncle. And he watches the towers burn and he decides... I need to do something for my country. He joins the military. He goes overseas and he comes back different. He's still Uncle Matt or Uncle Joe, but he's different because of what he's seen and what he's experienced and what he's been part of. And inside this Uncle Joe or Uncle Matt, there's a struggle, right? Am I Uncle Joe or am I tough Joe who ran point? Am I tough Joe who cleared buildings in Afghanistan? How can I not be that guy and be this guy at the same time? So there's an inner struggle inside each veteran. So what we do here at Lark is we bring the veterans in as part of the program. They're led through the program by a veteran who's been here longer than them. But what we see time and time again, and the reason we've been accepted to the IRB, the IRB is a clearinghouse. And what they're going to do is they're actually going to monitor our program to see if our program can be prescribed like Paxil, like Seroquel, like the Valvoprex. Some of these guys having a hard time. Forget all the meds, let's go to LARC. And we hope to be successful in this evaluation from the IRB so we can get more and more veterans in here because we know the program works. The problem is quantifying the program. So when you go to the VA, they say, take 10 milligrams of this at night, take 10 milligrams of this in the morning, and in 14 days, 
you have enough built up in your system that there'll be a change. The great part about Lark is there is no 10 milligram. You come in, you start working, you're working hard. By working hard and being outdoors, we can correct some of your sleep patterns. There's actually scientific data to say we can correct how you sleep. We can repair synapses in your brain. And then one day, you know, you came in and you're like that big black wolf over there, that one with the big snarly teeth. He reminds me of me. He and I, we're going to run. We're going to be everything. And the 45-pound, half-coyote, half-wolf, crazy girl who's never let anybody touch her for the five years she's been here at Lark sees you and it's over. All she wants to do is be with crazy Uncle Joe. She's been waiting five years for you to get here and now you're here and you've completed her life. And you and this crazy animal you never would have picked start doing emotional exploration. You start sitting in group and you say, you know, I don't know how I feel today, but uh, you know, Mia, that crazy wolf, she's doing a lot better. I've got her to load in a crate. She's calling my name in the morning. I hear her when I get up. I think she needs a partner, Matt. Um, and I think this is what she wants. When are we going on a rescue? Oh, and before we go on the rescue, I'm going to build her a two-tier plateau. And I'm going to put some water in her enclosure. And I think she wants a hammock. And I'm looking at you like you're crazy. I'm like, we're going to build a hammock for a coyote wolf dog? That sounds crazy. So... What ends up happening in our program that we have to quantify through the IRB is the day the light switch goes on, the day the healing starts. Because what happens here at Lark is that we're trudging the road, we're faking it till we feel it, we're working from sunup to sundown, and then something miraculous and special happens when a coursing predator in the form of a wolf or a wolf dog and a coursing predator in the form of a veteran lock in, link in, and become partners and are able to help each other heal through an unspoken communication of understanding trauma and understanding that inner turmoil. So it's sort of combining to form a pack of this relationship between the veteran and the coursing predator. They, They share that bond and that allows the veteran to sort of recognize and heal. Yeah, I mean, all vertebrates, which we are, we do what we see. Okay? There's, there's very few people that dream of something in their head at night and then go make it happen during the day. We do what we see. We, we heal the way those around us heal. So immersing a veteran in a healing place full of love and compassion like Lark, in nature, outdoors, hawks, eagles, condors, horses, pigs, wolves, other veterans, uh, sunrise, dew and mist on the ground in the evening, all of that comes together and creates this place where they can heal, where they can be themselves. One of the biggest problems I had with the VA, um, I mean, I had lots of problems with VA, but one of the biggest problems I had is the way they present themselves, okay? And the way they present themselves is brick, mortar, fluorescent lights, lab coats, let me stick you with a needle, Right? And it's just uncomfortable for me to get in the sub-basement of building 704 to lay down for a goddamn MRI in the dark with somebody in a lab coat telling me don't move for 40 minutes, right? That's bad enough. Like, like that whole event is probably worse than any result they got from the MRI. So what and let me add that- something, hon. 
let me add something about the VA, if you don't mind, right? It's a, just a great uh, piggyback point is that um, a lot of what happens is that the treatment is just medication. It's just here, take this pill. Um, or le- And then there are doctors that are rotating through. There's not the same doctor all, you know, because so many VAs use the medical students and, and new, re- new residents and they, they don't get the continuity of care. They don't get to see the same person over and over. And if they, their symptoms escalate or they, they start demanding more care, they become over-medicated to control them. I hate to say it, but I've seen it happen over and over. I've seen it so many times that the, you know, people with 20 or 30 different types of medications. And that's why you know, the, the Wolves and Warriors program is so amazing because it's not just here, take this pill, you'll be fine, but also these other 20 pills and they cause more problems in the long run. And there's things they're trying to solve. They don't solve it. They sort of just uh, get it going and try to manage. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And one of the things that Matt was saying about how common we, how much we share in common with wolves as human beings is that we are also, of course, vertebrate species. We're mammals, and we have the same axis of stress response. You know, when, when, you know that whole fight, flight, flee, or faint. You know, we 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 um, we have that. Um, um, I'm sorry, it's fight, flight, freeze, or faint. And many many species react to stress in that way. And we are one of them, and wolves are one of them. And when you have PTSD. You have that constellation of symptoms like avoidance and hyper arousal and, and, and intrusive thoughts, you know, like flashbacks and nightmares and, and, and you know, alterations in your, in your, in your thoughts and the way, the way you perceive things and, and depression. And these animals, these wolves experience the same thing. And what I always like to say about what happens here at Lark in the Wolves and Warriors program is that... You know, you, both species don't really trust each other at first. It doesn't happen right away. So even though you have, you know, hippotherapy programs with horses and other and other programs for veterans with horses, which are great, and I'm so happy that they exist, but those species are domesticated, and you expect a dog to come to you when they're called. You know, that you expect a horse to sit, stand still when you mount him or her. The, the, the difference here is these wolves are in very large enclosures. We make sure, you know, Matt is so good. Matt and his team of warriors really understand what it means to have the proper habitat and build waterfalls and ponds and dens for these wolves in two, three, and multi-acre enclosures. And so they don't have to come to you. They, they choose to come to you when they're ready to. And that's the same thing with the veteran that he's not going to rush into a relation into a relationship he has to build the trust back again and that's what happens here in this very natural organic way the animals and the wool <laughs> the veterans build trust together and that generalizes to other relationships and then we see our veterans regaining custody of their kids and reuniting with their family and getting into relationships and we're we're, we're so happy, you know, we're so happy to see that happen because that's how to reintegrate back into society. 
And coming home well, we often talk about the purpose. (laughs) You know, when when you leave the military, you lose your pack, you lose your purpose in life. And that's where a lot of vets seem to have a real challenge. And and I hear hear this in this program. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say let me say something about this. And then, of course, Matt can tell you about our Wolf Guard program. So what happens is as these veterans develop these relationships with the wolves and they realize that this is this is their way back home, you know, that they they are establishing their their pack. They're back to their band of brothers. They have a, 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 a mission and a goal again, and they're part of another you know, pack, just like, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, veteran, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of military teams are called the wolf pack and so forth. So the fact is that when, when they make these relationship with the wolves and they realize how these wolves came to us from unscrupulous breeders, breeding wolves to dogs and creating this unnatural species that shouldn't exist, Nobody should own these animals, but they sell them anyway to unsuspecting buyers. And when these people have these animals, within months, they realize this cute puppy has become a wolf or part wolf, and they can't handle it. And it jumps out of six and eight foot fences and, 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 and starts terrorizing the neighborhood. Then, then, then they end up in sanctuary, you know, because there, there's really no place for these animals. And so... So as a result, um, you know, all, all these wolf dog and wolf sanctuaries are getting filled to the brims with these with the, with this breeding problem. But th- we also get wolves that are confiscated by, you know, fish and wildlife because they were out, they were either you know shot or found in traps. And the veterans really relate to the kinds of, you know, hor- horrific experiences these, these wolves have had. They, they've, they've had so much trauma just like them. And so as they relate to these wolves, they realize that the wolves in the wild are also being pers- persecuted and, 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 and harassed by not just hunters and trappers, but the way the, the government, our, our fish and wildlife um, agencies are, are managing them. They're not really managing them. In Wyoming, you can kill a wolf in any way you like any day of the year. And so we, they start feeling for these, for the wolves that are here at Lark. They feel for them that's part of their own families. And then their mission to go out and protect wild wolves, which Matt can tell you more about gives them a sense of purpose back. These, these, these men and women who joined the military joined. They, they weren't drafted. They joined in these last, you know, 30 years or so. And, um, and even, even the Vietnam vets, you know, who, who went with because they believed in something, they, they are now realizing that they still can serve their country, but their country has broadened into a wider vision, which is, these these other wild creatures that need our, our our protection and they go out there to defend them and it's the most beautiful thing to see them get their dignity back and to say I have a purpose again and it really is just so moving to me for them to see them realize that the wild wolves are part of their brethren as well and that please tell them about the wolf guard program well <clears throat> I'll tell you a little bit about the wolf guard program but before we do that. You know, people are listening. We're giving a lot of information. We're talking about wolves and we're talking about healing. And we're talking about vertebrates and large enclosures. And here's the most important thing. Large mission is to save veterans. 
um, there's lots of different statistics, whether it's 22 or 30 a day, decide that they can no longer deal with the PTSD or the trauma that rages inside them. Very important to understand that we want to help and to save as many of those veterans' lives as possible. And we do that through this program. And by opening up to the IRB, we will be enrolling more and more veterans in this program. Uh, They need to go to our website. They need to email us, send over a DD-214, have a conversation with our doctor, Dr. Flynn, Dr. Linder, who's also on this call, about getting them in the program. Because the problem with medication, and we touched on it earlier, no matter what the medication is, if you take it enough, it stops working. So we need to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is PTSD. And, you know, kind of the the trunk of PTSD is lack of sleep. And we have a way to cure that. And you can combat anything with a good night's sleep and something great to eat and somebody, a partner standing at your side, another veteran standing at your side, kind of trudging you through it. So, you know, for those veterans listening who are having a hard time, you need to go to our website. You need to send us an email. And, you know, if you want us to help, we have a map back. We have a road back to your family. We have a road to putting the nightmares at bay. We have a road to making you feel whole again. If you want a normal life, if you want to survive this trauma instead of deal with it on a daily, daily basis, uh, you should email us and give us a call. And I'm going to put the website up on the Coming Home Well Facebook page and our our, uh, website. So if you're listening and you're like, I don't know what the website is, it's lockwoodarc.org. Or you can just search Wolves and Warriors. It's really easy to Google. I I was able to find it really fast, even with my limited computer skills. So uh, it's really easy to find. But there's also a show, I understand, uh, that, that sort of follows what you guys have been doing as well. Yeah, so there's a television show on Animal Planet uh, called Wolves and Warriors. They've kind of been re-airing it. Uh, with COVID going on, we have no idea what's next. There was also a special released about a month ago called Surviving Joe Exotic. So for everybody who watched Tiger King, we were there before he was Tiger King. We knew he was crazy before the whole world knew he was crazy. And if you really want to see the story of the animals and the story of the veterans, you should turn into Animal Planet, Surviving Joe Exotic. So, you know, so we're really easy to find. And, it, you know, it's a program that's been lauded that, uh, you know, a lot of people think is an amazing way to, you know, transform a veteran. What Lauren was talking about a little bit before is, so a veteran shows up here and knows nothing about wolves. And they start caring for the wolves, doing their thing. And we're in a big two-acre enclosure. And Ryder, one of my more aloof wolves, comes walking down the hill, comes all the way across the pen, hasn't done this to anyone in years, months, or ever, walks up to the veteran and sits at his feet. And he's decided that that veteran is who he wants to be with. It's a relationship that's driven by the animal, selected by the animal. Now, we're going to foster that relationship. We're going to get that veteran more interactive with that animal. That's going to be one of his primary animals to care for. We're going to talk about that animal in our in our <clears throat> weekly meetings about feeding schedules and weights and medical updates. And we're also going to talk about it in the veterans trauma therapy. And what happens for that veteran is that's the first time in society that he felt that little tingle in the back of his neck. If you're a veteran, you know exactly what I'm talking. About. It's that line between fear and I must go forward. Now, when you first felt it in the military, it almost made you sick to your stomach. 
And the last time you felt it in the military, you've missed it ever since. It's something that you can't get unless you demonstrate really bad behavior in civilian life. I've had veterans tell me, well, I turn my headlights off in my car. It's late at night. No one's around. And uh, I'm driving down the road at 115 miles an hour because I get that feeling. Or, you know, I don't know what to do. So, you know, I've been rappelling and I've been free climbing uh, on these giant rock faces I don't belong on. And, you know, I've almost fallen three times, but I, you know, I get that little feeling in the back. And there's some other bad behaviors that I'm sure the veterans are aware of that we won't. Oh, there's a lot of bad behaviors that go on. (laughs) Right. So the advantage here is that we're going to replicate that amazing feeling. And then we're going to put you as part of a team and the snow is going to come down and wolves need your help in Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. And I'm going to put you on a helicopter and I'm going to airdrop you into the mountains. My team's going to pick you up on snowmobiles and ATV. We're going to scour thousands of acres of woods protecting wolves, reporting illegal traps, working as a team, radioing back to headquarters. So the idea is we get you healed and ready to go and we got a new mission for you. And the mission is to protect our national treasure. I push this organization to the brink of everything, finances, trucks, snowmobiles, cars, whatever it takes for one wolf life. And we impact a lot greater than that. I mean, there when we're not out there doing our patrols and protecting wolves, hundreds of wolf lives are lost. And in losing one wolf life, you can lose an entire pack. That trauma and that individual being gone can cause all eight, seven, six animals to die. So it's very important work we do. And once the veteran gets that little tingle in his neck and knows that the wolf is what balances the ecosystem, most veterans did this because they love America. So if you want to drink clean water and you want to have fresh air, and you want to have healthy forests, guess who's managing that for us? The wolf. If you live on land, it's the wolf. There's not some magic machine the government made to fix the rainforest or to fix the the, the forest up in Washington or to get, you know, clear the waterways on the coast. There's no machine for that. Nature has to do it. So we got to support the wolf in its mission. And its mission is to make a better planet for us. And our job is to take care of the wolf sixth. And make so, sure nobody's sneaking up. This because he's like, the apex predator. That's the apex predator, just like just like the veteran is. Absolutely. <laughs> How many veterans can you accommodate like doing this? It, I mean, it sounds like so much is going on. Is that what we're talking like? 20, 100, 1,000, a million? How many veterans are, are you able to help? I don't think we can do a million, but the answer is we will always find a bed and a space for a veteran in need. And if the number is 30 a day, then you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to do a thousand a year and get rid of that number. I would like all 30 of those veterans who thought there was no other solution but checking out to check out my website. You know, there's veterans, there's different. It takes funding to make this happen. And of course, the VA does not give us anything. Um, we, we We depend on individuals to support us because we do not charge the veteran anything to do this, to be part of this program. We provide them everything there down to their boots and, and um, you know, all the meals and housing. So we, we, we require funding. There's no question about it. So people are interested. They're hearing, they want to donate. How do they do so? Um, They can go to the, they can go to the website, um, which is lockwoodarc.org. Click on the menu and click donate. 
Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Wolves and Warriors. You can follow us on Twitter at Lark Wolves, and you can follow us on Facebook at Wolves and Warriors. You can also, you know, look up Lockwood Animal Rescue Center, which is what Lockwood ARC stands for. And remember, every donation is a tax deduction, but more importantly, very few programs, when you donate money, are saving human lives, protecting the environment, and on top of that, offering the veterans a way to get back into society. So, you know, we're not just storing veterans in a building and medicating them and hoping they go somewhere later. We're giving them the skills and the jobs, whether it's being a welder, whether it's working at an animal hospital, whether it's flying a helicopter, whether it's being a professional snowmobile uh, tour, you know, providing tours or whatever it might be. We're providing them a skill set and then we're going to help them on that path wherever they go. So what you have to understand is that for each veteran, the road home is different, but it all begins with one simple, well, not simple, one, one critical task, which is we have to learn how to sleep. And once we learn how to sleep, we can deal with all the other tentacles of PTSD. We have a solution to putting you to bed. We have a solution to making you part of a pack. And we have a solution to giving you a mission. Now, if you're a veteran, you're getting a good night's sleep. You're part of a pack. You have a mission. You can just about accomplish anything. It's absolutely amazing program. I've been reading all about it. And of course, I, I had to look up the website. And then I didn't even know there was a show. And so I need to go watch that. But the whole idea of Wolves and Warriors together i i can just sort of hear feel the tingle in my neck that that tension between doing that mission and having uh you know i've always had large dogs but i've also been out in the woods you know where a bear is up close you know out in the wild or uh we have coyotes around here i haven't seen any wolves but i know they're around but you guys are in california you're north of la and and uh, i was talking with uh Linden the other day, and it's literally about 30 minutes, well, maybe an hour from where my wife grew up uh, in Ojai, and you guys are up oh. right in the National Park. Well, you know what well, You know what we should do is a lot of people talk on the internet about what they do or don't do. Some people even make up who they are. What you should do is get your ass down here for 72 hours. Why don't you get in the trailer? You can run your podcast from here. We got great internet. Get down here, get in the dirt. Get down with these guys. Look what and feel what it's like. You know, nine o'clock, I come, bang on your door. I'm like, hey, let's go do a perimeter check. Let's go see what the wolves are doing at night. Give you a chance to feel it, hear it. Hear them howling. It. Hear them howling at night. I'm sure that is a unique experience to hear all the wolves in the enclosures. You know, we got acres and acres of wolves howling. Uh, which is probably here pretty close. Here, they're, they're howling right now, Tyler. Listen to this. I don't know if you can hear it. One sec. No, I can't hear it. No, it's, it's hard to hear. But the answer, uh, answer Tyler, the acres and acres. The yeah, acres no, that's that sounds like an amazing and opportunity. We're right down the road from Ojai. Right down the road we from Ojai. We have three thousand acres for the veterans in the world. To put it in perspective. That's almost seven square miles. So when we go camping, we don't even have to leave the property to get lost. When you want to go to the hot springs, when you want to go out, we have some great programs off site for the veterans, you know, to get away and get out and do some camping and stuff like that. So look, if you're a veteran and you need help, get on my website. If you're a veteran and you don't need help, then donate to the next guy further down on the ladder. Whether it's 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 500 bucks, 
93 cents of every dollar goes to the veteran and the program. We are a lean, mean machine, all about veterans. And the answer to your question, to go back to how many veterans can I have in the program at one time? It is determined on, you know, how much funding I raise. But currently, I have the capacity to run about 40 guys and gals through this program every day. And how long do people stay? Well, that's a good question. So how long does it take to fix PTSD? Right? That, 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 you know, it depends. (laughs) It depends on the individual. So there are veterans who within 60, 90 days have a firm enough grasp on who they are and what they're doing that they can, they can leave. And other veterans, it can take as long as two years. But the answer is we're in it for the long haul. So if you're here for two years, then you're here for two years and you go on rescues and you, you'd be part of the missions and you come back and, you know, you go on leave to see your family for a week here and three days here. And if we can pound it out in 60, 90 days, have you meet with Dr. Flynn, get your medications leveled off and get you back to family. I want to do it as quickly as possible. But what I don't want to do is let you go too early. I want you to know that my relationship and the relationship between my nonprofit and most of these veterans is a life saving endeavor. And because that's so important, and because their sacrifice is so important to me, I want to make sure when they walk out that door, they're ready for anything. I can't imagine what they would not be prepared for after dealing with uh, wolves at their feet, flying in helicopters, going on snowmobiles, and, and doing the rescue part. So there's the part in California but, but Tyler, at Rockwood. I have to tell you, yes, but, I, I, have to, I have to interject. That, yes, those are all the extremely exciting things we do, but day to day, we have to also care for these animals. And so there's a lot of work that goes on from dawn till dusk. I mean, let's make no bones about it. This is a work therapy program. These, these guys and gals are working every day and it's not easy work, you know, and I just want to make sure you know that. And that's part of why you sleep well at night. That's part of why you feel the camaraderie working with other veterans doing a shared mission. You know, it's all those things are important, but it's also, you're getting down, getting dirty. (laughs) You're, You're working. I can certainly imagine, uh, you know, with all the animals needing to be fed and fences checked and making, you know, enclosures and making the uh, natural habitat for these wolves involves a significant amount of time, material, and resources. Preparing 375 pounds, preparing 375 pounds of food every night and medication and individually feeding each animal takes a little bit of time. <laughs> I would even just going from one enclosure to the next, you, you, you know, that would just be a long hike. Never mind uh, <laughs> carrying food and, and everything else every day. Cause it's not like they can go out hunting and, and get food elsewhere. They've, uh, you know, that's the enclosure part. So I, I did have a couple of questions that I wanted to ask. So some of these are bred, you know, obviously these, these terrible people that are breeding wolves and dogs together and to sell the puppies. We've all seen Tiger King where he's selling these tiger cubs for like $500. And then people realize, oh my Lord, you know, now I have like an 800 pound cat that can eat. (laughs) And so they get rid of it. And then, you know, same thing I would imagine with these wolf uh, hybrid dog mixes that people get as puppies. And then there's some, probably some wild ones too, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the issue with, I'm not going to say a wolf is, uh, more dangerous than a tiger, but I will say that a wolf is underestimated. And, and, and 
And here's an example. Cats by nature are lazy. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to go in an enclosure with an 800 pound cat and he's not going to beat the shit out of you. That's true. But also part of your brain is telling you, uh, probably shouldn't go in an enclosure with an 800 pound cat, right? That's part of your brain. Wolves look like dogs, especially when they're little. So people think, oh, it looks like a German shepherd. It's going to love me. I gave it food and I cared for it. Well, when a wolf gets to be about two years old, he's looking at you like, what the hell am I doing with you? He has this natural, innate desire to be with his own kind. A wolf or a high-content wolf dog can run 40 miles an hour, not in a sprint, for a day, okay? 2,500 pounds of bite pressure in their mouth. It takes 40 pounds to break the human skin. They can jump an eight foot. We have a juvenile that's four or five months old. He jumped a six foot fence when he was three months old. He just looked at it and went, yeah. all right, I want to go the other side. That was it. What I'm saying is they don't look, you know, <laughs> it's like, look, when I was in the military, we always had the short little redheaded guy who you can't figure out how the fuck he got out of boot camp. He was like five foot two. He weighed like 115 pounds. You know exactly who I'm talking about. But he was like the scariest dude, right? He was like the one guy who was like, well, if we're going in the building, I'm going behind him because he's a lunatic and I'll be fine, right? So that's kind of, we've been habituated for years and you said, oh, I have big dogs. Your dogs are bigger than the wolves. They're just not faster. They're just not stronger. They're just not smarter. See, dogs first move, and we talked about this a little bit before, is a dependence on you. When a wolf becomes two years old, he's an independent, sentient being. He is thinking for him or herself. You are no longer number one on the totem pole. He might like you. He might appreciate you. Seven out of 10 times when you call him, he might come. But the other three times, he's like, nah, I got something going on. Not really that interested. You know, so that's what's so problematic about crossing a wolf with a dog or having a wolf in your home is that they've not been domesticated. And whatever domestication takes place is a domestication between you and that animal on an individual basis. It's not genetic. It's not hardwired. It's a selection. All you've done is create a friendship. And depending on how strong your friendship is, it's how safe your neighbor's chickens are. So you, you guys have other animals, I understand, as well. So you have the wolves, and, and there's probably some horses, and probably some parrots. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and to so, try out raccoons and skunks and coyotes and pigs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> lots of different animals that all need care, all need attention. Do veterans sometimes, like, form a bond with one of the other animals oh, instead? Oh, oh, we got to do this. So... Just about every tough guy veteran, and I'm not discounting how tough you may or may not have been, show up and they're like, I'm going to be friends with that big, tough, white wolf, the one that snarls at night, and he's the best, and everything. So I come down to the trailers, and this six foot four, 250 pound tough guy veteran is curled up in his bunk <laughs> with a three legged pit bull. Named Cassie. That's right. Every one of them falls for Cassie. He's getting up in the morning, making Cassie breakfast. And he's gone ahead and pulled one of the chairs out of the trailer, put it up under the the front part of the trailer, and Cassie now has a shade. 
just was shape. And I'm like, yeah, hey man, that's like a $300 chair that was in the trailer. He's like, yeah, but Cassie wants to be outside while I'm outside. So yes, veterans make connections to different animals, whether it's a dog, a pig, a horse, and we're going to foster that. But for most of the veterans, even if they have that friendship, they can see in a wolf the trauma that rages inside them. They can see in a wolf dog where both sides of its brain are kind of giving it different messages that that's something they experience it well as well. And again, as human beings, we do what we see. We mimic what we can see and, and what we can do. And it's so important for these veterans to see a veteran further along in the program doing well, but also to be able to look backwards and to look at the animal with the inner turmoil and know that here at Lark, we're going to solve both those problems. That animal is going to settle down, become comfortable, get used to its environment. And you as a veteran, we're going to find a way to get you back home. We're going to find a way to allow you to fall back in love. We're going to find a way to get rid of that part of your heart that's broken and get it beating and blood flowing again. Because that's what we do. We do the most amazing work because it's not about stitches, sutures, uh, you know, a Kevlar leg, uh, really fast, blah, 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 you know, a uh, great pair of glasses. Uh, you know, we don't cover up any of the wounds. We heal them from the inside so we can be proud of our wounds. So we can say, I earned this. This is something special and unique to me. Um, and that's what's so amazing about our program. We don't perfume the pig. We don't put a new shiny leg on and have the veteran go jog down the street and go, everything's better now. No, because inside that veteran, he's still worried about his friend Joe that didn't come home. He's still worried why the commanding officer told him to go left and not right. Why it was Joe and not him? That's the most important question that needs to be answered. The question is, why am I still here? And what is my mission? You'll find both of those at large. Well, I want to thank you both so much for coming on Coming Home Well. Uh, we really enjoy hearing these, not stories, but, but resources that are available for veterans because so many of the people that need help don't know about the resources when they need them. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do. We, we aim at educating civilians about veterans' issues so that when they have a family member, a friend, a cousin that is having these challenges, they say, hey, there is this resource that I heard about where wolves and warriors, I think this is what you need. I'm going to share the website on the Coming Home Well Facebook page and our website as well. If you need help and you're having some challenges with TBI or PTSD and you're having some challenges in life coming home well, Wolves and Warriors is a tremendous resource. They're out in California, but they also do other things in other places. So get in touch with them. And I appreciate you both coming on. And thank you so much for being with us today. It's now time for Coach's Corner with Alfredo Torres. Last week, we talked about resumes, but resumes are only part of the picture. Finding your purpose that, that thing that gets you up in the morning, that makes you part of a team. These are all sort of the, the real things behind a job and a career. So Alfredo's going to talk about finding your purpose. Welcome, Alfredo. Hey, what's going on? Uh, I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I, I thought about this after we talked about it last week, finding your purpose. And a lot of people tend to think that finding your purpose needs to be completed in employment. And it's really not. Finding your purpose is 
is finding something that makes you want to get up in the morning and, 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 and want to attack life vigorously and feel at the end of the day that um, you've achieved something. You've moved you've, you've moved the uh, um, you moved the barrier forward. You, you, you've, you've contributed. OK. Um, and again, we tend to 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 um, to tie that into work and to the, our employment. And the reality is we don't need to to find our per, our purpose in employment. Now, the reason that I'm bringing this up is because a lot of us end up in jobs that we're not happy because the focus of our happiness, of our purpose, is put into employment. And so finding your purpose really comes down to what what makes you happy? What what makes you satisfied? And what makes you feel like you're contributing to society? Your purpose could be your family. I was talking to a gentleman today, and this is kind of what really got me going today. Um, and he applied for a job today at, at where I work. And, you know, he called me afterwards. He was like, Alfredo, this is what I did and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and he goes, I really hope that, that, that I get the job. I was like, well, you know, I can't tell you. I don't I don't know anything about it. I'm not on the interview panel because I know you. And he said, I just want to have purpose like you do. And at that point, I was like, well, what makes you think that you're going to find purpose in the job? He goes, I want to help people. I want to help. That's great. But there's you got a beautiful family. You just spent 22 years uh, in the military where you we're going in and out and in and out and, and deploying. And, and, you know, he's a combat veteran. He's done six or seven combat tours. I said, well, maybe now your purpose could be your family. You can get a nice literal nine to five job, do your 40 hours a week. You're getting your retirement. I said, why don't you put your family as your, as your, as your purpose, being able to, to raise them and being there for your children and everything that you missed and, and being there for your spouse. And it kind of changed his mind a little bit because at that point he realized that he didn't have to look at employment and say, Oh, I'm going to be a manager of a, of a dollar store. You know, or something like that, where he feels wasted. Well, why do you feel wasted if you're providing for your family? And I'm using that as an example. But the reality is it could be anything. OK, it, it, it could be religion. It could be um, it, it could be volunteering. It could it, it could be obviously employment. It could be this. You and I don't get paid for this. And yet and yet we, we both feel a satisfaction from doing this because of what we believe the purpose is. And the purpose of this is to help people like us. So purpose doesn't have to be tied into a job. And, and I really want people to really get that into their into their heads. Because again, if, if you put it all into the job and you don't get the job that you think has the gives you that purpose, then you lose everything else. You know, Alfredo, I know a lot of people in the military, especially people that retired, the job is who they are, not what they do. Right. And it's really hard to separate from the military or any job, law enforcement, where you have that real sense of purpose and then you come home or you retire or you're no longer doing that and separating the who I am from the what I do. Yeah. And, and uh, that's a real thing. You know, um, I was in the Navy um, and for that whole time you were a soldier and I was a sailor. And when we get out, all of a sudden our identity is stripped because you're no longer a soldier. I'm no longer a sailor. Um, and really, like you said, there's, there's only very, there, there, there are jobs out there 
where the job is you or where you identify that as that job. But the reality is you were a person long before you joined the army and you're going to be a person long after, you know, the army becomes a distant memory. Same thing with me. Um, and, and that is one of the hardest things is to lose that identity of, of, um, of being in the military. So Alfredo, what's your advice when people come to you and they're trying to find a purpose, they're trying to find a job and they're trying to find a purpose. My, my advice comes down to, um, uh, to one, it really comes down to, to the one question. I think I, I told you the one question before. How important is money? Um, money dictates where you go. If you have kids in college, if you just bought a house, um, money is very important. And in that case, go with what you know. Okay, you were in logistics. Go to logistics. Um, if money isn't important, you're happily married. The house is paid off. The kids are grown and out, and go be happy. Now, what does happy mean? Happy might mean being that Walmart greeter and and spending time uh, gardening with your spouse. Happy happiness might be uh, writing comic books if if that's what makes you happy. Um, at, at the end of the day, that, that to me is a question that that's going to divide. So I asked that question, you know, how important is money to you? Do you need it to maintain your lifestyle or, or, or can you take a step back? I, I've got 3000 albums. OK, if you look right behind me, you can see an autographed Depeche Mode album. I paid about four hundred dollars for that. OK, makes me happy. However, I don't need it. I don't need that to make me happy. It makes me happy. And I'm in a place where I have um, the money that I could afford that. But if I couldn't afford that, I could still be happy without it because I don't need it. I, I don't need to make any more money, which is why I stay in the job that I, I'm at. So finding the purpose is is separate from finding a job. But if you can combine the two, Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can combine the two, then obviously that's, you know, that's a uh, that's a win win if you can combine the two. But again, that combining the two might might mean that you might not be making what you want to make. OK. And and uh, we see that with a lot of people who get out of the military who go for the money and might not necessarily need the money. OK, so they get these these contractor jobs, six figure jobs, or they go to work for the federal government, you know, get that GS position that we all believe uh, we're going to get when we get out. Make you make your, your high five, low six figures, and then they leave it in a year. Because they realize that money isn't everything. And if you don't need the money, if you don't need the, if you really don't need the six figure, um, the six figure job, then why do it? There's a lot of people that aren't going to get six figure jobs. Sure. And sometimes I, I think that there's a such a disconnect between the level of responsibility that we have in the military and the level of responsibility you generally have as a civilian, as a uh, an employee. Mm. It's so different. That, that it causes some angst to folks and, and could contribute to some of this, uh, I try to find my purpose uh, conundrum. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, you're, you're not a, a, a high level NCO or you're not an officer um, and then get out into the real world and try to uh, and, and, and try to still be that um, and not and not feel it as an attack when you realize you don't get that same respect or you don't carry that same authority um, again. Military is one of those occupations where when you get it, where you 
that is your identity, you know, and, and it further breaks down. Again, you were in the army, you were a soldier, I was a sailor, but then it breaks down, you were enlisted, um, or you were an officer, or it, it, I mean, it, it breaks down even further than that. You were an infantryman. You, you were in the motor pool. You were an intel. So, I mean, we continue to break it down and and we get stuck in that in that identity. And then we get out and all of a sudden our identity is stripped. And then everything that goes with that identity, the the the, the prestige, the authority, the respect all gets stripped, too. Um, and again, don't don't get stuck in, in finding that identity or the new identity in the job find your identity in in outside of work and you will find your purpose that makes sense oh absolutely so go out and be happy thanks for that time with coach's corner with mr alfredo torres we really hope that you enjoyed this week's show and we really appreciate Mr. Alfredo Torres coming on and sharing his insights and in how veterans are able to find their purpose. If you're interested in supporting the Coming Home Well mission and helping veterans return home well and dealing with the challenges uh, like TBI and post-traumatic stress disorder, please go to comminghomewell.com and click on the donate button. Donations are how we stay on the air, how we do pets for vets, which is where we save two lives at the same time. Veterans being combined with a new pet from a local shelter at no cost to the veteran is a wonderful program. If you'd like to support these, again, please go to cominghomewell.com and click on the donate button. Next week, I'm going to talk about my experiences at the Pentagon all through the September 11th attack in 2001. But until then, we hope that you have a wonderful and restful Labor Day weekend. It's the end of the summer. I know a lot of things are going on, but thanks for listening. Thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well. Thank you. Coming Home Well, helping civilians better help veterans.